That's classic. We bring you great laughs and a unique behind-the-scenes look at classic television shows and movies. I'm John Cato. I'm an actor, voiceover artist, and also bring you an amazing insight as a moderator with over 20 years' experience in the television industry. So uh, today we have uh, none other than uh, the uh, gentleman that played Eddie on the Munsters, had a prolific film and television career as well, and somebody I have honestly been dying to have on the show. So I'm thrilled. And uh, of course, it's Butch Patrick. So Butch, welcome. Hey, buddy, you never know who you'll run into at the Strand, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, for the, for our listeners, what's crazy is uh, I've been trying to get Butch on the show, and we literally, not unplanned, ran into each other by the beach. I mean, that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. But it shows you that, I don't know, the universe hears it. I don't know. But we literally ran right into each other. Works so, for me. But yeah, works for me, too. I'm quite excited about that. Um, so yeah, I wanted to ask you, I know you've, you've done probably tons of interviews and had different questions, but I really, I want to talk about the Munsters. I also want to talk about your, you know, your film career and your television career as well. But um, one of the things that I would like clarification on is how you actually got started as, as an actor, because I've heard two stories. I've heard your, your sister got you in, and then I heard kind of like the true Hollywood story, like you were... You were there was a, a producer walking by, he sees your picture and things happen. What 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 yeah, happened? There's there's a little bit of there's a little bit of each one of those is both true. What happened was is when I was seven years old, my sister, who was younger than me, was uh going to a print shoot to get some pictures done. So she might do some modeling. You know, it was an idea that my mom's friend knew an agent that was looking for clients and no experience necessary thing. Michelle was an adorable little girl. So they took her up and I went along for that ride. So yes, it was because of my sister that I was, I was in the, you know, in the car with my mom when they went to the photographer's studio. Wow. Now the photographer's studio happened to be on Hollywood Boulevard and his name was Amos Carr. Now Amos Carr was the go-to kid photographer at the time. So what happened was after he was done taking pictures of my sister, he looked over at me and he goes, well, I kind of like his look. Do you mind if I take a couple shots of him just for my own you know, files and stuff. And, and my mom said, no, of course. So he had this signature look that he did. It was always a kid with a hat on with kind of a goofy expression or a goofy pose. Yeah. And I put this um, kind of like a, an English driver's cap on, you know, like a, mm -hmm. like they used to use, like if you were a jockey, you'd, you'd spin it around and do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, put, and I put my hands like this behind my head and I kind of made a funny smirk. Well, he took that photo and he put it in the window of his studio on Hollywood Boulevard. And about a month later, a producer and director from Fox, uh, I remember their name, Randy, uh, George W. George and Randy Hood. Randy Hood was the director, George wow. was the writer, and they had this movie that they were producing called The Two Little Bears, and they had not cast the youngest son of Eddie Albert and Jane Wyatt yet. So God. the guys look at the picture, and they went in, and they asked the uh, photographer about it, and he said, well, he's not an actor. Uh, he was up with his sister, but I do know how you can get in touch with his parent you know his mom so they go okay give us the number and they called my mom and then my mom uh, deflected them to mary grady and then mary grady came back and they go they're interested in seeing butch do you think butch would want to go for an interview and my mom asked me and i said you know well sure seems like fun and you know make money <laughs> in public school and you know seemed like a good idea to me so they basically uh invited me up for a screen test a, a reading and then a screen test and they want i wound up getting the part bottom line short long story short and um while I was filming wow. that six 
weeks. Now, the good part about this little B movie was Eddie Albert and Jane Wyatt, great. You know, I knew Jane Wyatt from Father Knows Best. Uh, Soupy Sales. Soupy Sales was the comic relief cop in it. And Brenda Lee at that time was a 15-year-old singing sensation who played my older sister. Oh so uh, Nancy Culp, who we all remember as Miss Hathaway mm-hmm. from the Beverly Hillbillies, well, she played school teacher. So there was a real good, solid little cast going on in this B movie. Gave me good experience, and um, during that six weeks, I picked up uh, a couple of I picked up a, a Kellogg's Cornflakes commercial, which which won an award, and then I also picked up I believe it was uh, either the real I think it was the real McCoys came right after that. So yeah, I did a year of the real McCoys, <laughs> and then that led to the Munsters. I mean, you know, there are those true Hollywood stories you always hear about, like Schwab's drugstore or whatever. They yeah, need to throw you drugstore. right in with that. I use that as a reference a lot. I said, it's not quite Lana Turner on a stool of Schwab's, but it's close to it. It's pretty darn close to it. I mean, that's an amazing story. So a um, couple things. What about, what was that? Like, I realized that you had not acted, you were a younger guy, but what, do you remember like what Eddie Albert or Jane Wyatt, what they were like? Like, just- oh, absolutely. They were wonderful. And uh, uh, just, just as nice as could be. Uh, I had a real good experience. Uh, it was it was fun. It was the, the, the premise. Here's the I mean, this talk about an unusual situation. The premise of the two little bears was these two kids were, um, I guess they were just enamored with Halloween, and they had these little bear costumes that they wore all the time. These yeah. bear, you know, as bear cubs, and we loved. We wanted to be bear. We want to be a bear. We want to be a bear. So what happens is is we run off in a, in our bear suits, and we run into a gypsy a gypsy woman and her husband up in the hills and she gives us this magic salve and we bring it back with us and we put it on and we wake up in the morning with our voices but there's actual bear cubs at the bed oh so this was the, during the magic period we become real life bear cubs and then we're and so we're working with these bear cubs for like weeks oh how cool and that's the premise of the movie it's a magical little fantasy thing and then the, the deal is eddie albert sees us when we come back one night we've been captured by the rangers and we're we're painted you know they, they spray paint a marking on a bear to yeah. re, relocate it and when we wake up in bed we've got the paint on the back of our backs from these bear cubs and eddie albert then sees that we have become bear cubs and tries to explain it and they all think he's crazy obviously so there's <laughs> that's the cuteness of the whole thing <laughs> that's like an amazing story actually wow Imagine being a seven-year-old kid working with, and your bear cubs are very mischievous. I mean, they're like strong. They do what they want to do when they want to do it. So, but for the first movie I ever got, I got to work with some great kids and bear cubs. Oh my God. What a, what a thrill. I mean, seriously. And then you go, you go from there. I'm sorry. Not only the real McCoys, but we're talking about Walter Brennan, a three-time Oscar winner. You're working with him. What was he actually like? Because I have heard mixed stories, to be honest with you. I had no problems whatsoever. A lot of times when you're a kid, though, you got to remember, you sort of enter into a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of a safe haven studio situation because kids, when kids are around, you know, a lot of times there's not a lot of profanity going on. There's not a lot of real stuff. But this was not the case of The Real McCoys. The Real McCoys was just a really fun show to do because Richard Crenna, who I knew from Arborist Brooks, you know, I was a fan of him on that. My mom was the one that explained to me that Walter Brennan was, you know, three-time Oscar winner, big movie star. But to me, he was just this likable old guy with a hitch in his giddy-up. Yeah, right. Who was, who was talking funny that I knew, the, but I knew the show. <laughs> 
And uh, so I enjoyed it very much. And uh, Pepina, the gentleman that played Pepina, all he wanted to do was hit golf balls. He was constantly just teeing up and, and knocking golf balls around. And Richard Crenna was having a good time. And he went on, went on to do a lot of great stuff, as you oh. know. So that was a great little yeah. show because it, it showcased my talents of riding a horse. The premise of, the, of me being on the McCoys was it was a one-year series after they had canceled it with the full family, which had Sugar Babe and, and Little Luke and Cassie. So when the new ep, the new version only had the three guys, Pepina, Luke, mm -hmm. and so they needed a love interest, and they had a widow with a son, me, inherit the farm the farm next door. Oh wow! So Luke Amos would go over and explain that this how's this this pretty woman going to do any farming, and and she turns out to be a very strong woman, and she has a son, and I ride my pony over, and anytime I get into mischief, you know, Luke comes to the rescue, and you know that's the that so I had a lot to do. Yeah, and this was all before like Beverly Hillbillies or any of that came out, right? Yeah, a lot of people think the Beverly Hillbillies was kind of a the seed was planted with the real McCoys about you know mm -hmm. a farm, dirt, you know kind of dirt farmers and this and that yeah. in the San Valley back before the water rights. It's like a Chinatown thing, you know? Right, totally, totally. One of my favorite movies, by the way. Um, hey, I the other thing I was curious about, and then obviously I want to get to the Munsters. Is did you do a child is waiting before the Munsters or? Yeah. You did. Okay. All right. So that's yeah. obviously, I mean, Bert, I mean, yes, Judy Garland, but also Burt Lancaster, one of my faves. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great movie and Burt was wonderful. I didn't really work with Judy. Um, I saw her, but mm -hmm. the fun part about it was there were so many kids in the movie uh, that was, it was done about special needs kids, but I was a kid that was on the outside when one of the special needs kids escapes and I befriend him and become, you know, outside of the area. But yeah. Bill also in that movie that I didn't even know until recently and Bill's one of my best buddies but it's a lot of times in a movie you'll see credits of, the, of people that never work together and you know yeah. because they saw that they never saw each other because they were there for different days wait did you say Bill Mumy was in it yeah oh no way I saw his name I saw his name attached to it recently okay that is that is pretty wild there's by the way there's somebody without a doubt I I want to talk to as well I mean you guys you guys kind of were in that magic zone of television Bill was like amazing amount of work that he did. You know, I lived, you know, down here in the South Bay. I didn't really have a, you know, I, it came naturally to me. It was easy to do, but I wasn't really a Hollywood acting kid going after all the parts that were mm -hmm. available, sort of picked and choose. And when I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have to go bowling or if I didn't have little league practice or if I was, you know, then I would go on an interview, but Bill was in the center of it and doing a lot of work and doing it well. I mean, his, his resume, you know, dwarfs mine. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you see him on everything from twilight zone oh, to yeah. lost in space to you, everything you turn on, he's there. Well, it was the original, they had him pegged to be Eddie Munster and he turned it down. He was their what? first choice. Yep. And his mom didn't want him in makeup. So he turned it down. And then I was living in Illinois with my grandmother at the time because my mom had married a baseball player with the Angels and he got traded to the Washington Senators. So I went to live in Illinois with grandma and mom and Michelle, uh, and she was pregnant with my brothers and they went to DC to live. And I uh, flew out when Bill turned it down. They hired a kid named Happy Derman yes. to do the pilot. And when the pilot was screened for the network brass, they greenlighted the show with the stipulation that they needed to get rid of Joan Marshall because she looked too much like Morticia Adams mm -hmm. and bring in Yvonne DiCarlo, who was great. And then they said, and Happy Derman's got to go. So there was a slot for a new Eddie Munster. And Mary convinced them off of the real McCoy's footage 
to fly me out for a screen test. So it was pretty unusual for a kid to go not only be flown in, but to go directly from the airport to the studio and put right in front of the camera with the Monte Carlo and then been told and then be told, make arrangements to live here and get to work next week. You know, you mean you're talking like you flew in and all that happened on right away. Yeah, there I went to the, airport, the studio. Yeah. And then uh, so by the end of the day, I had a part and I had to make arrangements to I lived with my uncle who picked me up, which was fine. And uh, we hired a woman that my mom knew to come pick me up every morning and drive me to work and then drive me home and then you know do the thing the next day. So that yeah, was it was a whirlwind situation. Did you um, another thing that I read and, and to be honest with you, I'm curious if that if there's truth to this, that you flew, you commuted back and forth uh, to the Midwest or the East Coast. Well, yeah, one, once a month, I would do a, uh, a kind of like a red eye and I would fly to D.C. and spend the weekend. Uh, Mondays and Tuesdays are kind of light days. So I think, oh, shush. So Mondays and Tuesdays are kind of light days. Dog, sorry. Uh, it's OK. We're doing this. Listen, at the life happens. Anytime any dogs walk by, she's got to make it known. So, um, yeah. but yes, it was a it was a hectic schedule uh, for sure. But I did get back to visit the family about once a month. Okay, well maybe that maybe that also grounded you a little bit. Yeah, it was fine. It was it worked out really well. Right. So on the show, let's talk about the Munsters. Um, first of all, how about Yvonne Carlo? I mean, I understand. I had read as well that you you had a very personal relationship with her. Is that true? Well, when we were filming, you know, TV mom situation, but what happened was about 40 years after that, about 20, maybe 25 years ago, Vicki Lawrence had a talk show and they contacted me that they wanted me to be a surprise guest to uh, meet Yvonne, to come off the audience and, and, and meet her again, which I did. And we then reconnected uh, in the late 90s. Uh, and then she passed in 07. So for the last 10 years of her life, yes, we, uh, she lived up in De Palma, which is up by Santa Maria. Mm -hmm. She was living by herself, kind of a recluse. It was sort of sad in a way. But um, when I went up to visit her with Kevin Burns, who was a big uh, TV producer and a big Munsters fan, world's largest Munsters fan, after Kevin was introduced to her through me, he then took it upon himself to make sure she got like a care package every month of like movies to watch and things to do. Oh, great. And he got ill, he made sure that she got the care that she needed and he got her into the motion picture home for the final you know, few years of her life where they were very happy to have her and they were they took very good care of her. So we caught it, luckily, luckily we reconnected at a very strategic point in her life. Yeah, did you realize when you were a kid that you were working with somebody that was like literally like a, a you know, movie star? Golden Asia Hollywood star. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Yesterday, I just happened to be uh, going through YouTube surfing and they had the 50 most beautiful women pre-1960. Yes. And Yvonne was number 16. Right. She did Salome. That was her big... And, well, she also did great. the Ten Commandments. Oh, Ten Commandments. That's right. That's right. Her, her biggest movie was Cecil B. DeMille, Marion Moses, Ten Commandments. Right, right. So, so at the time, did you, when you were working with her, did you have a sense of that as a kid or yeah. was it just like, my, my mom helped me out with that. She, she knew that Yvonne was a big star, like with uh, Walter Brennan and Burt Lancaster, Burt Lancaster, I knew, but, but a lot of times my mom would sort of uh, uh, get a kick out of work. I would be working with people that she had seen. Cause my, my mom was like, when I was with the monster, she was only 30. So yeah. she, as a little girl, saw a lot of these movies in the forties and fifties as a teenager and then was educating me about you know how big these stars used to be or were whatever so right. i was i worked with a lot of people that i particularly didn't really know but now in hindsight when i look at old movies i see a lot of these faces of, of people 
that I worked with. I had, I was lucky enough to work with. And they usually played like an uncle or a dad or granddad. Edward G. Robinson's a good example. Oh, on the, come on. On the detectives, yeah. Like Little Caesar or whatever. What? Yeah. Um, or how about the Ten Commandments? Yeah, what do you yeah, do? yeah, exactly. How weird is that? How yeah. weird is that? That tie-in. I walk down Hollywood Boulevard sometimes, and I'm looking down at the stars on the on the sidewalk, and about every third one I have either worked with or there's some paths that across at some level. I thought that would be kind of a cool documentary someday to do the walk down hall and yvonne's got two stars but it's amazing that six degrees of separation you know kevin bacon's deal uh it's actually you know very alive and well in hollywood because you you cross paths with so many people oh yeah by the way that's a great idea for a show and then you do clips of them while you know that you tie in it's a great idea i love it um so one thing uh that was coming to mind so you mentioned the the you know that Bill Mumy didn't want to do, his mom didn't want to do it because of the the makeup and I know that Fred Gwynn went through like hours of makeup and then that you know 40 50 pounds of padding what was your makeup session like then mine was pretty easy i was an hour a day and you got to remember we were only in makeup wednesday thursday and friday so we only had 3 days of makeup which made it tolerable because you had 4 days to recover from it. Mine was uh it was funny Mike Westmore who you probably know the name uh legendary huge top of the line Westmore family you know royalty of Hollywood. Of course. Well we had three Westmores out at Universal during that. Bud ran the department, Purse did Grandpa, Al Lewis and uh Mike did me and and Marilyn and Mike had just come out of the makeup school. He was an apprentice. So I was first actual i don't know client you know whatever you want for his first award so me and mike got along swimmingly and he was like a really cool guy handsome debonair drove a jaguar you know bachelor i, I mean i just idolized the guy <laughs> and i'm still friends with him and, I, and i've been talking to mckenzie his daughter lately who you probably know mckenzie from hosting the the, the hit show face off oh my gosh yes. yeah so, so she and i are and mike was kind enough to to, to do an interview for me for my book and I went out to his house and I took pictures of him with, with his Emmys and his Oscars and so anyway that's that's one of those really cool things about being in Hollywood is some of the long-term relationships it's not like your best buddies but your paths cross often enough and you have these little points of importance and light in your in your in your career that make it all uh, all very cool and, and it's like time stands still when you get back together oh yeah I bet was now I, I had read that uh, Fred's uh, makeup was almost like a violet uh, to help with the uh, the black and white filming. What did you have a similar texture like that? We're all various shades of what it was. They were we were all pretty much. The, by the way, he, it was two hours for Fred. To get okay. Back to answer your question. Two hours. I was an hour. Everybody else was in between, except the second Marilyn, who was a natural blonde. Beverly Owen took a little while because she was a brunette who had to put on a blonde wig every day, but. Um, we were all basically roughly the same color, shades of green and and and, and not like a light green, olive green, a gray, and then the accents of like Yvonne had green eyeshadow, Fred had some blue hue to this and this, so they were shaded it up differently, but the base was all pretty much shades of gray. Interesting, interesting, and you know, the, during that time, you know, another thing I've I've looked at is. Personal appearances, uh, Fred made very few because it was such a hassle. It sounded like to do all of that. Did you did, did you do personal appearances during that the show's run? I did. Well, I did one. I did. I remember this one that I actually put my own makeup on on the plane flying from here to Phoenix. And uh, we had a, a gentleman, Bob Burns, who was a, who was a, like the world's greatest gorilla suit 
you know, impersonator. He had a gorilla suit and he, they had him go with me as Kogar, Eddie's pet gorilla. Um, and we had like 5,000 people show up at this, the opening of the Thomas mall. And I was like really overwhelmed. I got some pictures of me, like at a table with security and a guy with a microphone. And I'm just, <laughs> sitting, uh, uh, you know, when's this going to end? But, um, the, uh, personal appearances, not so much. Fred did a lot of, um, TV appearances. I mean, if you, if you, if you look him up, he did Danny Kay. He did, uh, uh, Red Skeleton, I think, mm -hmm. I think he did some people's. But um, it was quite an ordeal for him to get into makeup. He couldn't do it himself like me. I got you. I got you. Did you did you have a sense, by the way, you know, I think that people just assume, oh, you, you, you know, you're, you're a kid working on a show. You realize how big this is. Did you realize when you, you know, did go out there, like you go to Phoenix or you go somewhere that this thing is huge? No, uh, I didn't. My mind didn't wrap around it um, because I, I wasn't a Hollywood kid i was just a kid that when mm -hmm. if i wasn't in, in in public school i could go and memorize a script or memorize my scenes and do my part luckily for me my interpretation of most you know what's what happens you go on an interview they you, you sit outside they give you a script you got about 15 minutes to you know look over some lines right. and then you go in and two things need to occur number one you, you don't you can't be intimidated by being a kid in a room full of adults which that didn't bother me. I was always like, I hung around with adults. That was not an issue. And number two, you have to have a good memorization, which I did. But the key is, is if your interpretation of it is not what they want, and they correct you and tell you how they want it, that's the difference between a, a kid that gets the part and a kid that doesn't get the part, and how well you adapt to taking direction. But luckily for me, about 90% of the time, my gut, my gut feeling of how I read it was what they were looking for or close enough to where they figured they could work with me. And then they saw that I could tweak it to their needs and I wasn't intimidated and I was professional. That gets you the part a lot of times. You may not have been exactly what they were looking for, but if you are professional and you're not going to be a liability, right. and you're going to work with them. And then that gets you the part a lot of times. And then on the third part is a lot of my mom was really cool and likable. And if you have two kids that are both sitting there and they both can do the job and you got one pushy stage mom and you got one cute little Patty on the, this side, they're going to hire the cute Patty. And yes, right. Because the kids, the both kids can do the job. It's like a sales. You got two salesmen coming in and they're both selling the same product. You know, you're going to go with the guy you like. Oh yeah. No, I can see it. What, what about, um, obviously I can't leave grandpa out. What, what, what was Al Lewis like? Well, Al was, as a team, Fred and Al were comedy genius, you know, and they were friends and they both came out and they, and they turned the, I mean, their, their comedy routines were, were, were world-class. I mean, Laurel and Hardy, you know, Evan Costello type stuff, Martin mm -hmm. and Lewis, these guys were very, very funny and they, and they had a shtick and they, and it worked really well because being Herman Munster and grandpa Munster, I mean, come on a Jewish cigar smoking vampire. <laughs> you know? That's pretty funny stuff. And then Herman, you know, his his spin on the on the Frankenstein character was never Frankenstein monster. It was always Herman Munster, lovable guy next door. So they took it and ran with it, and they made it work. And then Yvonne DiCarlo with the star power, being the strong matriarch of the household and controlling it, and you know, taking care of business, it was genius. Yeah, yeah. What you know, I always think about you as a kid when I watch the show and I see Spot. What. Was Spot just like fire shooting out of the stairs or was there actually something there? There was a movie called The Lost World, uh, early 50s, 52, 53, I believe Universal did it. Uh, and that was a, uh, 
a dinosaur of some. It was like a T Rex looking thing. It might have been an allosaurus. I'm not, but it was it was a you know a dinosaur head looked like a T Rex, and they uh, mounted it back there with lit up the eyes and they hinged the jaw. And they put gas veins in it so it could basically shoot flames out. And then you know you would see the tail and you would see a shadow of him. And and the funny part about it was it was it was well number one calling him Spot. Yeah, uh, funny. Oh, funny. Number two, it, it allowed for a lot of fun, fun, easy to laugh with giant doggy din din cans and <laughs> and you better go get Scott Spot. He took the neighbor's Volkswagen and came home with a bumper and you know things <laughs> like that. It just made for funny uh, writing. And you got one of the things back then too is uh, shows were very successful that had fantasy related storylines like witches and genies and talking horses and martians and i did my favorite martian and i did i did two mr eds and i did i dream a genie so the 60s wow. was perfect for all of that good stuff did you well you can't throw those out and be casual about it i mean my favorite martian you got bill bixby and ray walston what 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 were they like they were great i mean bill bixby was early in his career he was very likable and you know very fun and lighthearted. ray walston was great i remember him of damn yankees you know with gwen verdon so he yeah. knew who he was and it was it was really cool because the, the the episode that i had i was the first kid to ever see their spaceship so i'm peeking in and martin goes we have a visitor we have an intruder and i, I peek up and i've been peeking in the garage and i see a spaceship and i got this like space globe on my head because i'm playing spaceman uh. so he actually confides in me. We're walking along and he tells me about Martian, the Martian kids and the colors. And because I'm a kid, you know, he, he basically could, could tell me the truth. Oh, so, wow. That that's cool. They, they ever explain, you know, what it was like to be on Mars. They happened to be explaining it to a seven-year-old kid playing spaceman. Okay. That is seriously cool. You, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you a little side note there. Ray Walston years later. Okay. I get cast as a younger Ray Walston in like an episode of Chicken Soup for the Soul. I never saw the connection, but hey, a job's a job, you know. But too funny that 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 is unreal. Yeah, um, and then Mr. Ed's were were cool because you know, I mean, some of the, I mean, it's just, it was just good. It was, people ask me, what do you, what do you attribute the longevity of the Munsters and and the, the, the and I told them, I go, yeah, I mean, it's you gotta you can never relive the '60s. It was just you had to be there to be there. And it was a reflection of society and TV was still fresh and new and comedy was this and, and the comedy writers had, you know, free reign and do crazy stuff. And I mean, just imagine, um, I mean, look at the guest stars we had, you know, we had Paul Lind as Dr. Dudley, oh. funny shtick, you know, the funniest of shticks with him and Herman and me and the kid with the beard. And, and then we had, uh, you know, we had uh, Don Rickles, we had Frank Dorshan, we had... Oh. Harvey Corman twice, Gavin McLeod. Uh, the list is a very extensive. Jane Withers. We had a really strong list of guest stars uh, on the show, and then because of the comedy writing, it was it was a very great free for all because you had the obvious monsters living in this household, and things that normally wouldn't be funny were you know for a normal guy became very funny if when it, when it happened to Herman Munster and vice versa. Did did Paul Lind uh, uh, just you know riff at times like just you know improv it? No, he pretty much followed the storyline, but it was very funny the way he would do his thing. <laughs> oh my goodness, Mr. Buster had the guts to have a son and they cover it with a paper, his head with a paper bag. Oh my God. You know, it was just, it was good stuff. And um, it was, it was funny. And it only lasted two years. So it was a, a quick window. The, um, we had other connections like, you know, we had the coolest cars with the George Barris 
Munster coach at Dragulas. So we had cool music, we had cool cars, great guest stars, a cool house, you know, funny special effects going on all the time. Really you, good quality special effects for the day. Did you go back, uh, you know, you, you know, as time has gone on, did you go back and, and look at that house again? Oh, yeah. After, yeah. Many, many, many times. I used to, I used to be, until Scotty, the guard at the gate, retired, I could drive on anytime I wanted to. Wow. Wow. Did, and by the way, with the cars, I mean, I remember years ago, my parents, as you know, I'm from Milwaukee originally. My parents took me out to Universal and they had the, you know, this was, whatever not not too long after the show but uh, they had the coffin car from uh from the show how yeah. many vehicles were there well originally we had one monster coach and we had one dragula because they built the dragula for the uh the episode where herman loses the car grandpa builds the dragula hot rod herman we go to lion's drag strip which is Love too, that far, one. too far from here back in the 70s early 70s they closed it but we were there in 65 um the um the cars were huge and and over the years after the show ended george barris being the pt barnum of car builders and you know marketing as the world required more monster coaches to be uh on the continent he built one for australia and he built one for europe um so there was three and then a lot of people who had the capability of building a hot rod they built dragulas and they built monster coaches of their own just to have for their own personal use so there's you know, probably a dozen of each, but only like a few that are legitimate Barris builds. And you own, you own a couple yeah. of, am I right on that? Got a Dragula being built too. And with, with my, my Dragula is accurate and it's the last uh, coffin to come out of the original mold. Oh, wow. What's going to spot on accurate. And I also bought the last Munster coach body. The guy had at the time when I was picking it up, I noticed a Munster coach. I hadn't planned on building a Munster coach, but it just worked out really well because I bought it knowing it would come in handy someday. And sure enough, right after that, somebody had to have my coach. They wouldn't let me build them one. They wanted mine. And I said, well, I, I need mine. But if you want to give me payments and, and, you know, as I'm, you know, over the next couple of years, I'll, 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 uh, as I, when mine's ready to be done, you can have mine when you pay it off and he's going to be done. I'm going to be delivering it to him this year in October. And then next spring, my coach will be done, but I will be touring around with my Dragula and my Munster uh, chopper, Eddie chopper. Oh, you have an the Eddie Chopper. Yeah. Uh, un, unbelievable. That 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 really is. So um, one thing that I know too is that you used to roam the universe a lot. Like, yes, you were on this show, but you're a kid and you've got open access. What was filming during that time? What did you walk into? Well, Mikhail's Navy was out. Their exteriors were out at the lagoon, which now is the lagoon where they have the Jaws uh, shark uh, display. Yeah. Uh, we wagon train we had three westerns we had wagon train the virginian and laredo going out when that when the back lot was active and if not you know there were, all, there were always like movie sets and, and movie shoots going on but universal um we had alfred hitchcock uh we had a few shows that came and went um the um the studio was a movie studio so basically each soundstage in a year would have like three sets built and broken down and built and broken down so in a year's time with about 10 sound stages active and three per, there'd be like 30 different movies came through the property during my two-year tenure there and those wow. were the those were the, that's what i used to enjoy doing was walking into a uh, sound stage as they started building something and try to guess you know what were they what was the movie what were they going to be building it was going to be a western was it going to be a medieval thing was it going to be new york or you know you try to figure out the storyline and then four months later, it's it's broken down and they build another one. Wow, that is so amazing. You had just free reign, huh? Walk where you want well, to. 
the best part was there was a studio, the soundstage from the Phantom of the Opera, which was the largest soundstage in Hollywood. I think it was stage 18, uh, wow. with about six stories tall inside. And wow. I used to go in there and, and get on the catwalks and go all the way up to the top floor when, the, when my welfare worker wasn't around, keeping an eye <laughs> on it. And it was a haunted stage, but it was really, really, really cool to go in there because there's a sense of size and it's like walking into Notre Dame when you're the only person in there and you just, whenever you're in a huge room and you're the only person there, it, it's kind of a sense of spookiness. Yeah. Did you feel anything, honestly? Yeah. No, I just, 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 it was just cool to be able to go explore and like, instead of going down the street at the construction site, you know, when they're building a, an apartment building, I had this, the studio to go explore at. Yeah. What was, now I know on the other side of the coin, you did a lot of uh, Walt Disney films as well. Um, what, what, way, way down cellar. You did yeah, I had, original I had a family group, band. I had one big summer and then I kind of did a couple little things uh, that drug on, but yeah, one summer I did two, two parts, uh, world of colors. And one was called way down cellar. And the other one was called The Young Loner. And The Young Loner was really probably one of the best pieces of work that I ever did. And I was working with some really good people. Kim Hunter, Academy Award winner, sure. Edward Andrews, uh, and Frank Silvera, three good solid stars. And I was the only kid playing off of these three adults. Wow. Wow. What, what was the, uh, you know, what was it like, I guess, working on the lot at Walt Disney Studios versus the Universal Studios lot? What was the difference in those, those lots? Well, Disney was the gold standard uh, as far as Walt, when he had built that studio, he wanted to make sure all his people got fed, you know, really well and affordable and clean. It was like extreme. It was like Disneyland. Let's put it that way. Wow. It had the same feel as Disneyland. A wow. lot of people in that place sparkly clean and and in homage to his caricatures and, and Mickey and Minnie and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was, imagine if there was a studio behind the, you know, Disneyland gates, that's kind of what it looked like. And Universal, on the other hand, what did you feel like that was more like? Universal was, uh, well, you know, the old the old school studio that you think of like when you're like Sunset Boulevard and, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Going, that's Paramount. Yeah, definitely. That's how Paramount and MGM were. They were like <laughs> old school, old stuff. And you knew you were around, like you expected to see the munchkins around the corner at MGM, you know. Yeah. But Paramount was, was good. And they had the big, they had the big, uh, the big sky where they used to do the war movies where they would have the miniature ships yep. in, in the ocean and then they would shoot it. So that was always interesting to see that magic and that portion of what they were doing. You figure out what's happening, but universal was kind of a hybrid. It was an in-between. It was considered the monster movie set, but they didn't like have more and, and Warner brothers is that way too. Warner brothers is very synonymous with the Warner brothers tower. You go in the gate and they very much promote on the outside, what they've been doing and you know, they're pushing yeah. stuff. Universal wasn't like that. Universal was more of a just a big monolithic, big buildings. And, and, and when I was there, it wasn't nearly that. I mean, when I was there, the city walk didn't exist. I mean, it was just a big mountain of dirt. And right. Mike, of course, one of his jobs was to go up. They had just started the tour. His job was to go up and do a makeup demonstration. And they had him in a, in a, bar, in a, in a director's chair with a mirror. They had a porta potty and they had a little stand that had sold Pepsi's and, you know, and that was, that was CityWalk when it wow. started. So it was interesting to see the growth and the expanse of how well Universal did with that was their plan. They were like in business and it's, and you had that sense of business uh, going on when you were there. It wasn't, the, they, they weren't there to 
you know, showcase stuff. They were there to make money and the Universal Studio Tour became the biggest moneymaker of all time. Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's amazing that that's what I turned into CityWalk. What, um, you also then go on, you do My Three Sons and you had a recurring on there. Am I, am I correct on that? Nine, yeah, I did nine mm-hmm. episodes, most the most episodes by any male guest star which is quite a little feather in my cap. And the, the, the woman that did 11 was Meredith McCray. So oh, she, wow. did, she did 11, I did nine. And I was always, uh, the first two or three, I was just a kid. But in the last six, I was Ernie's best friend. Did you, uh, did you stay uh, friends with Barry Livingston? Or, yeah, Barry stands for. Yeah. Yeah, okay. the, thing with, the thing with My Three Sons, how that came about was Mary Grady, uh, Don Grady, who played Robbie, my mm-hmm. agent, Mary Grady, was his mom. So when I would stay in Hollywood, my mom was still back east. I would live with Mary and Don and Mary Lou and uh, and Lonnie, you know, wow. Lonnie enough. So I was out there as kind of like the fourth kid for Mary. And uh, I was her first, really her first paying client when she opened up her agency. I was like the first kid that she hired other than her son already working. But before uh, Aaron Moran and before Johnny Whitaker and before, I mean, she's got a really long list. She was a powerhouse kid agent. Mm-hmm. And the first one that specialized in, in children, uh, I was like her, her, if not the first one, one of the first two. Yeah, very famous, actually. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. On my three sons, I mean, obviously you're working with uh, Fred McMurray, another, you know, legend. Uh, do, you, do you have any recollection of, of how he was? Or Fred had a very interesting contract. He uh, didn't want to do, he had, he had a stipulation in doing my three sons that he would shoot all 39 or 36 episodes all at once everything that he had to do they lined up so they would shoot everything and fred mcmurray would have for the whole year in about a month and wow. he would do things so if you were lucky enough to be in the scene with him you would see him but let's just say you're coming in and he's not in the scene and you're not part of the scene they would have like a ladder with a face on it over there and <laughs> that you'd play off of if they could. So the deal was, is I'll do the series, but you have to make it as painless as possible for me and get me in and out as quickly as possible. Were and you in get, any scenes with him? Yeah. Oh yeah. Funny scenes with him. I, yeah, I, I, I worked with him. I liked him. I thought he was funny. I remember him because I was a big fan of Flubber, you know, in you oh, know, yeah. movies and stuff. So I love Fred, Fred, you know, Fred McMurray. I mean, it's funny to go back and see him in the apartment playing a bad guy or double indemnity, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, Fred, and a lot of people, the thing about Fred is a lot of people think like Bob Hope or Bing Crosby were like, were like the richest guys in Hollywood. Fred, uh, Fred McMurray was right up there with him. Very wealthy man, invested big time in real estate in the Valley. Really? I did not know that. Chinatown reference. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And then, and then you've got William Demarest. Uh, Uncle Eddie, Charlie. What? Uncle Charlie. Yeah. Any, any, uh, thoughts on him i also have heard mixed things he was funny i, I kind of equated him to like a walter brennan you know an old character type guy kind of you know set in his way that was a real sweet guy though i mean I, I enjoyed it he was funny and witty and you know you a lot of times you sort of even when you don't know it you're picking up um talent and you're and when you're around talented people it rubs off on you mm-hmm. so it was always fun to be around people that had long very long and uh you know he's like a, he's a very good ultimate character acting type you oh. know he, you know yep. little and 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 you know william frawley before him you know but before you know miracle, miracle on 34th street and and he did a lot of movies and uh it was funny the transition from bub to uncle charlie was a good transition it worked 
That's interesting. That's really interesting. The other one you mentioned, by the way, was I Dream a Genie, which has been a favorite of mine. We, we did an episode actually on that. What, uh, what about Larry Hagman and, and Barbara Eden? What, what was that They're like? Wonderful people. <clears throat> um, Larry Hagman was, you know, long before he was JR. He's a funny guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he did comedy and, you know, Larry Martin's is, you know, his mom came from acting royalty and it's hard to, it's, it's, it's funny that he wound up being so famous for being such a deadbeat character guy when he was such a funny, that's not, that just to show you how good of an actor he was. Right. He was a very funny guy. Oh yeah. And Barbara Eden. Oh, well, what are you going to say about her? Ooh, oof. <laughs> Michael, and I was a big fan of Cochise, Michael Ansara, her husband, and he came on the set a couple of times. So that was kind of funny. It was like when I was doing the monkeys and Davey was dating uh, Sally Field and Sally Field at that time always reminded me of my mom, you know, cute little brunette, about the same size and height. And she'd come over in her sister Betrayal outfit and, you know, him or her and Davey were like the heartthrob tiger beat couple, you know. Wow. It was just funny shit. Let's actually, thank you so much for bringing up the monkeys. I'm sorry. I, cause I, I, I saw that and I remember I, cause you have mentioned the Christmas episode before and all this, what, what was, you got to tell me because you, what was that like to be around the monkeys at that time? Cause they were basically the Beatles, you know, really they were, they were. The show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I'll give you an example. I never, I would never come to school when I got a part. I never shared it with anybody at school. It was just, it was, you know, I just really tried to separate what I was doing and I didn't want to uh, come off as a prima donna or a, a look at me person. When I got that monkey's Christmas show, everybody in the eighth grade knew that I got the monkeys. I told everybody and I didn't give a shit. I told them all. Oh, God. They were huge and they were like, it was the equivalent of, um, like you said, it was some, similar to the Beatlemania. The, the monkeys were big very big in that tv show any any kid and, and maybe even some adults but for the teenage population that was a must-see show and to do not only uh an episode of it but do the christmas episode which i believe is one of the best episodes they ever did and, and it's not mm-hmm. so much because i'm in it but the way that in the, at the end when they sing rio chiu the acapella is very nice and then i love the way that they introduce the people behind the camera that make yeah. the show and they break down the fourth wall and that that 60 seconds of them doing that pretty much was a perfect example of how the set was on a day-to-day basis it was fun it was lighthearted. it was energy driven it was wacky it was improv it was you know it was the 60s it was perfect it was a wonderful wonderful week for this kid i couldn't have asked for a better experience and, and i like i said i still i knew i knew them all and, and i still know mickey and uh it was for doing something at, at, the, at the age of 14 that and being associated with the monkeys, even to this day, is quite a feather in anybody's cap. How would you um, break each of them down? I mean, I, I, I agree with you, by the way. You're right. When they break that fourth wall, what, what blows me away is they're the same guys. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were just having the time of their lives. And the, it was funny because, you know, Don Kirshner, the music thing behind the scenes, that was all, that was all political crap. They were... They were good musicians. They were had a good band, and and but the, the energy that they had and the way they treated people was really really good. And they were not prima donnas. They were likable, accessible, fun guys. But the um, the deal is to answer your question is I was looking forward to meeting Peter because Peter was the hippie, you know, and yeah. it was and uh, Davy. I didn't really know much about Davy. I knew he was the you know an actor, an artful dodger, and he liked horses, so he was okay with me. Mickey, I knew from Circus Boy. Um, and he was the crazy wacky one, you know, he was, you know, just like he was on TV. 
Yeah. And Mike came off as Mike, you know, the reserved, educated one, you know, behind the scenes. And uh, they were literally like when people ask me about Herman and Grandpa, were they, what were they like in real, real life? I said, you pretty much got to, as, as you see them on TV, is pretty much how they were in real life. Their characters and their, and their persona carried wow. over, through makeup. even through the makeup, they were both, you know, acting like that. But the, but the monkey thing was, uh, that was a big one. That was, that was, I was really, very, that's when people ask me, what's my favorite role? I said, well, aside from the monsters, probably Lizzo was okay, but the monkeys episode and doing the Phantom Toll Booth with Chuck Jones uh, was big. And then my Disney, my summer of Disney was nice. Wow. That's, that's amazing that, uh, did you experience the, um, you know, because like, like we were saying, they, they had that Beatlemania vibe. Was the crowd crazy? Like, like, I mean, any, you know, anywhere near the studio when you were working that week? Oh, they, they that's, you know, going in the studio, the, that was, there was no crowd situation. They had a lot of guests. They had a lot of people walking through that were doing, you know, either knew someone, but I mean, there was a destination. If you were lucky enough to get to uh, screen gems, that would be where you would want to go would be the monkey set, you know, obviously. And it's like the monsters were when, when we, for, when they first started the tour, we were the, we were like a number one destination. Everyone, the Beatles came on the set. We, I just wasn't there that day. It really pissed me off. Oh, um, what? I did, I did meet a lot of famous people. Wally Shira, the astronaut, the original Mercury seven. Of course. Came, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but his claim to fame, he was the only guy to fly in all three programs. No, Mercury, I did not know that. Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo. Yeah, he was the only astronaut to do that, which was quite a, quite a feather in his cap, considering, you know, we were all, back then, astronauts were like gods. Oh, of course. So we had a lot of people come through the set, and it was, it was, it was a target destination, which was cool. We had great special effects. The two guys that did our special effects, Chuck and Davey, they were our special effects department. And they went on to each spear up a Spielberg and Lucas uh, special effects department. So we had really good guys in their early days, you know, doing old school effects very well. Wow. Did you, no, wait, I want to get this right. Did you just say that the Beatles came through the set, but you missed them that day? Yeah. I don't know how that worked out that day for some reason. I, I think the way it worked out was the security when they were doing the Hollywood Bowl, when they were in LA during the Hollywood Bowl, it was really, really, really tight security. And I think I'm under the impression, don't hold me to this, but I believe that they used the dressing rooms in the studio as their um, as 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 their hotel rooms to, wow. to keep them to keep them away from the fans because we behind studio gates. And then I had a dressing room. I tell people this all the time. I, my dressing room was next to Marlon Brando's because I had a one bedroom dressing room for my school room. You know, which when I wasn't on the set, uh, I would do go to school up there when I had time, but I had one on the set as well. But because I had a one bedroom, I, I'd said, you know, I'm sure one of the Beatles probably used my dressing room and it was probably Ringo. Oh my. <laughs> but, but today, Ringo, uh, today I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ringo. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. And I love his whole piece thing. Yeah, I, do, I, did, I did a lot of work with uh, Louise Harrison, George's older sister. And uh, I was privy to when I befriended her and hung around with her and we did a lot of stuff together for her charity. I saw a lot of home movies. And even though I never met George, I feel like now that I, I know him so well because of what her, you know, stories and the, and the home movies and the books and stuff that she told me about, I kind of feel I have a, a, a Beatle connection that most people don't. Is that, by the way, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because I noticed that she did the foreword on the um, authorized biography, your authorized biography. How did that tie in? I mean, how did, how did that even come together? 
well, Beatles came out in 64. We came out in 64. We were friends with her. We wanted to have a Beatles connection, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, Harrison, you know, Louise Harrison, the name's there. And we also stuck Howard Stern on the cover, you know, king of all yeah. media. Uh, he's a big Munsters fan. That actually was kind of like an unauthorized situation. The, the, the author of that book went, went a little bit uh, out, on a, out, out on her own and pulled a, a few things off that I probably wouldn't have approved. Mm -hmm. but uh but yes louise was a dear friend is still a dear friend she's still with us went to the grammys with her um stayed at hard day's night the, the bed and breakfast of the house that she owned in benson uh illinois oh. uh met her at a hard rock in orlando years ago and was introduced to her and we just became friends okay that is just too cool um all right well a couple last things and then i'd like you to tell us what you're going to do but one thing you were in dickie roberts which obviously is about former child stars did you know a bunch of them already? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know I pretty much every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I had never met David. I had never met David Spade before, and when I was out doing it, we took a lunch, and David and I found a little, you know, cubby hole and sat down and had our lunch together. And I really enjoyed spending a few minutes with him and chatting a little bit. I was I was very impressed with him. He's uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of him now. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool to, to hear. Which which of those uh, child actors had you kind of like, they were always around, you know, when you were around type of thing? Well, the, I never really hung around with child. They, occasionally, in the, during the Lidsville years, and they wanted you to go up to Hollywood, there would be the Room 222 crew, mm -hmm. you know, David Dollop and Judy Strangis and, and, and Karen Valentine and uh, stuff like that. But um mostly i i, I stayed stuck to myself down here in the south bay and i didn't go to a lot of hollywood parties but i did go to high school with the cow sills and oh. the cow sills were bigger bigger than life back then they were doing great stuff uh i'm still friends with the family unfortunately we lost barry in, in katrina years ago about 16 years ago and mm -hmm. i was in his grade he and i were like best buddies but paul was a year older john was two years younger and susan was five years younger so um I still, you know, see them often and work with them often. But as far as hanging around the studios, um, you know, I Bill movie would occasionally uh, we would cross paths. Now as adults, when I'm out of the business, I see Bill more often than anybody else. But mm -hmm. when we go to uh, autograph shows and stuff, Darby Hinton uh, is a good friend from Daniel wow. Boone, uh, Paul Peterson, you know, uh, 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 Jeannie Russell from Dennis the Menace, Jay North from Dennis the Menace. Um, you know, there's probably a list of about ten or so. Of That's kids, uh, Willie Ames, uh, John Lounsley from the Walms, Willie Ames from Eight is Enough, um, you know, stuff like that. We, when we all get together at a convention, it's, you know, we walk around and we, you know, schmooze a little bit. Who The Bee, Jerry Mathers, of course, Tony Dow, you know, the Beaver. We had the Beaver on the show. We had Jerry uh, Mathers yeah, yeah. on the show. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful yeah, guy. So, yeah, it's, it's the, uh, Larry Matthews, Larry Mazio from Nick Van Dyke. And uh, in, in, in fact, it was very funny. Larry, I was at a show with Larry one time. We were having lunch. And he goes, he goes, did you ever know how jealous we all were of you? I go, who? He goes, kid actors. I go, what? He goes, we were all so jealous of you. I go, why would you be jealous of you? You're on the Dick Van Dyke show. He goes, <laughs> the monsters, the house, the show, the special effects, the fun, the dirt, you know, the cobwebs. And I go, I never knew that. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, we were all very jealous of you. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That I go, is okay. Awesome. Don Wells. I was very dear friends with Don. Mm -hmm. You know, Don Wells. Uh, 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 Donna Douglas, Nellie Mae, Clampett, and I were dear friends. You know, they're all, you know, as we, as we get older, you know, the, uh, the um, passing of people seems to be accelerating. But um, I know. 
I'll tell you what, it was a good, I wouldn't trade my window. You know, I was born in 53. I saw a little bit of the 50s. I remember a little bit of the 50s. Uh, the Elvis period growing up, even though you're, you know, first grade kindergarten, you still remember the music. And oh, yeah. then the, in the mid seventies, I, you know, was, was wide open, you know, work, 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 not, not Bill Mooney type of work, but I was busy and privy enough to be around a bunch of stuff that the sixties just happens. It just happens to be an incredibly great decade of creative minds and music. And it was oh, a good yeah. to pick a decade to be solid in. That's a good one. No, it's a great one. Um, on the cow sills, by the way, because yeah. it sounds like you're quite close. I, I, I'm familiar with the whole background. I, I was a fan myself of, of their, their, their music. Uh, the dad was, uh, you know, known as like, just, it was horrendous. Like, yeah. you know, in the end, what he, what he did, did never, were you I around never, that? Yeah. I never knew the parents. All I knew was the kids at school. And then I, I just knew them as, uh, as friends and we would occasionally see each other and then we, you know, we kind of parted ways afterwards, but we reconnected to the TV land awards and Susan actually sang at my wedding and um, Paul, wow. Bob and Susan are doing the happy together tour where they, they go around the country with people from the, the turtles and the Buckinghams and the association and the arch. It's a great, it's a great entertaining thing. And I'm really, really honored that Susan, Susan is going to be my musical director at the, uh, in the, in the, uh, if I may jump to what I'm doing now, Yes, you may please. The, and uh, I, I, uh, it's, it's funny. Uh, one of the things I've always been wanting to do is find a way to apply my talents and my Rolodex and my friendships to a scenario that would be beneficial to everybody. And I think I found it. In fact, I know I found it. I was hired last year to come in at Halloween, uh, the month of October, to display my car, uh, the Munster Coach, at a place called Indiana Beach. Mm -hmm. And what is Indiana Beach about this? Well, it's a 97-year-old theme park nostalgia driven that was going to be demolished but the guy at the last minute local businessman who remembered it as a kid stepped in and bought it and saved it wow and he went in and repainted everything and fixed everything and all the vandalism and stuff you know got all the graffiti gone so now last year it was the first year it had been open but they had a ballroom that in the 40s 50s and 60s and 70s had everybody play there. I mean, everybody from the big bands of Glenn Miller and Benny Goodman and, and Woody Guthrie. And, I mean, not Woody Guthrie. Um, uh, I can't think of it. Uh, but Willie any, Nelson, uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Uh, everybody but the Beatles and the Stones played there. So yeah. I saw the place and I go, this place is great. So I convinced them and they, they liked the idea too. They want to put the place back on the map and to get a national exposure for it. So they're bringing me in and I'm going to display my Munster collection and my cars and my chopper. I'm bringing in some Adams family. A friend of mine nearby has a huge Adams family collection with the polar bear and uncle wow. Fester Maiden and, and Wednesday's tricycle. And, and then he's got the world's largest bozo collection and the places near Chicago. And then I have another guy that makes um, haunted attractions for the movie business. He's going to come in and set up a professional movie display. So there's going to be this very cool Munster Adams monster movie, um, pavilion on the on park on park property with a merch store and uh, with the museum and the displays and i'm going to be living on park property but my job is to resurrect the ballroom oh, so i'm wow. doing it you can see my cap says classic reruns tv i do yes yes that yeah. i hired me to do a halloween special last year dave bishop and he's got this upstart cool little channel very similar to mtv great programming so we're going to do once a month on the ballroom. We're going to reintroduce the ballroom with um, like a Dick Clark American Bandstand type thing. Oh, that is so cool. 
done just like that. And then I'm going to do car shows and then we're going to do movie screenings. And, you know, my job is to keep coming up with ideas to draw people and talent to the park. And at the same time, uh, call in, you know, the weekend with the beaver and, and Wally or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever TV shows and concepts and my Rolodex, whatever I can bring in, we can create special effects and, and, and special days at this park. And it's 400 acres. It's got tons of coasters. It's got everything. It's on a, it's called Indiana beach because it is on a lake and it's got water sports and it's a, just a, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant piece of property. I'm really excited about it. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to helping them get national exposure and, and, and create a bunch of nostalgic uh, special events. Well, I, two questions. Will the display that you just got, you, you described, you know, yours as well as the others, will they be on permanent display? Uh, well, it'll, they're only, yes, yes, they will be until uh, close on October, middle of October. The permanent display, the museum will be there. Yes, I don't plan on taking the museum with me. I will take one of my cars or two of my cars or one car, the motorcycle on the road when they're closed until next spring when I come okay. back. And while I'm on the road down in the southern, you know, the sun, the sun belt down on the Gulf Coast, I'll continue to do my normal stuff, which is conventions, car shows, car events. And then I'll be representing Indiana Beach so while I'm doing it. And where, just so that the listeners know, where is Indiana Beach exactly? It is about, it's between Detroit, Indianapolis, and Chicago, northern Indiana. And it's on Lake Schaefer. And you just Google Indiana Beach or Munsters.com and you'll get all the information. Okay. All right. Great. And the other, the other thing, of course, is what's in your, like, let's say the next month or two, what are you... Where will you be or the, you know, over the next three months? Where will you be just so they, if anybody wants to come and see you? Yeah, tomorrow morning I'm leaving for Milwaukee for a bike show called uh, Motor Mania. I'll be back Monday and then I'm around for the next few weeks and then I leave for good um, April 14th. I'm heading to Vegas for the Viva Las Vegas Rockabilly event. And then I'm going to Salt Lake City to, uh, to do some more uh, for the Classic Reruns TV. It was another thing that they're buying car 54. They want me to do a, uh, a, a marathon narration with Fred and Al being in it. Then yeah. we're heading to Fargo. Fargo will be the 22nd, 23rd, I believe. Uh, a big convention up there, a pop culture convention. And then after that, I go to Indiana Beach. Okay. Where I'll be, where I'll be off and on for the rest of the year. That's just amazing, Butch. That's just amazing. Well, let me, let me end this on one uh, final Munsters question. Um, sure. The the Obviously, Wolfie, everybody loves Wolfie. How, how many original Wolfies were there? Uh, there was only one. Well, there's two. There was one wooden carved one that, that they did the first episode with. Mike Westmore said, nah, I can do better than that. So he went up and sculpted one and made one and supplied us with the, the other Wolf Wolf doll. Yeah, so there really was only one. And where, where, is, where is Wolf Wolf now? He's in Indiana somewhere, but I've got two of them right here. Oh, you do? Hold on. Okay. I love it. Oh my God. Those are awesome. Oh, him. <laughs> those are awesome, man. Oh, was lost here. Oh, we're still here. We're still oh, that's cool. Well, so also, one other thing. Um, yeah, please. One other thing. What was I going to say? Lost my getting old. What a pain. Um, the, oh, the, you're talking about monster movie, the Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie monster yeah. movie. Yeah. Yes. Oh, huge huge um it's gonna be huge it's pg rated it's all i can say is i don't want to jump the gun rob's putting stuff out at his own pace but anybody that uh likes rob zombie or anybody likes the monsters 
they're going to really enjoy what he's done to it. And uh, I'm very good friends with Danny Roebuck, who plays uh, Grandpa, and I'm friends with Rob and friends with Sherry Moon. I'm looking forward to meeting uh, the um, um, oh god, who plays Herman Jeff uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips. Yes, mm-hmm. so that'll be fun. Wow! And do we have any any rough sense of when that's that's coming to us? Yeah, yeah. I think they're shooting for uh, late September, October. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll see it. There's not a doubt in my mind on that. Are you kidding me? Well, really cool. Well, Butch, thank you. I mean, seriously, thank you so much. I mean, not only did I enjoy running into you, but I just appreciate you doing this. It, it's meant a lot to me. Well, you know, uh, I think you know where I'm staying. We won't say it over the air. We will not, but yes. Drop by, drop by. my sister wants to give you a woof woof key. She uh, has a company called Keys to My Castle, where she does um, kind of like, I guess they would be considered a house key art, you know, yeah. where you have really cool thing and uh, we have a monster line with a coffin and and a wolf wolf and the thirteen thirteen tombstone so swing by the house one day and uh, she'd like to give you one. Oh, that is super kind you don't happen to have one that you can show to the camera for for them do you uh, yes she does as a matter of fact she's yeah why don't you grab why don't you just show one because i i uh, guarantee you the listeners are going to go oh if you could have just shown us one we want we want we want to see it absolutely Let's do that. But I believe me, I will definitely take take you up on that invitation. I wanna I wanna uh, definitely have one. Let me see here. How how when how long has your sister uh, been doing this? She's been doing the keys for about I don't know twenty years. 15? Wow! Wow! Yeah, about fifteen, I guess. Okay, and this is uh, uh, let me, this so you I'm gonna read this off to you real yeah. quick. The ballroom, and let's just start with 63. We've got the Beach Boys, Al Hurt, Bobby V, Four Seasons, Jerry Lee Lewis, Everly Brothers, Bobby Benton, Roger Miller, Johnny Rivers, Bobby Goldsboro, The Kingsman, The Birds, The Righteous Brothers, Gary oh. Lewis, Christy Mitchell, Sonny and Sure, Mitch Ryder, Detroit Wheels, Love and Spoonful, Mindbenders, Paul Revere, Simon and Garfunkel, Yardbirds, oh. Frank Kappa, Grace Slick, Union Gap, The Who, Janice, Holding Janice, Iron Butterfly, REO, Chicago. That's oh. the kind of lineup this place had. <laughs> wow. I, and I saw that and I went, oh my God. Okay. Oh, this I mean, is crazy. Hey, this hi. Is the, hi. This is Spot. Let's see. Oh, come come over a little bit more. Yeah, there you go. There's Spot. Oh my God, that's exceptional. With wings. And yeah. then this is Woof Woof. And if you turn him over, Butch signed the cast. Oh. So he's autographed. There's the Woof Woof. And then there's my signature on his cook. Oh, that is so cool. Seriously. All right, so there you and go. These are actual, they're actual house keys. You can have them cut to your house. That's a coffin, yeah. Oh, an actual, I see. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I can actually see the key. There's the blank, it's a key blank. Yeah, so anybody, any locksmith can cut it to your own house. Keys to my castle.com. Oh my gosh, thank you for showing that. I'm sure, I'm sure people are going to want to get those. And if the, they do, then they go to munsters.com. Yeah. Munsters.com. And before you go here, let me just, I got to read a few more of these things. A big band era. Woody yeah. Herman was the one I was thinking of. Woody Herman, Boots Randolph, Dave Brubeck, Louis Armstrong, uh, uh, Miller, Benny Goodman, uh, Duke Ellington, Bill Haley in the comments. <laughs> Brenda Lee, you know, Brenda Lee. Um, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then, then we'll, we'll wrap up with uh, Alice Cooper, Fabian, uh, Herman's Hermits, Marshall Tucker, Ricky Nelson, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, la, 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 and so on and so on. And you can imagine why I want to resurrect that it's ballroom. everybody. everybody yeah it's it's amazing i'm so happy this is a perfect fit for me i can take all my 
marketing expertise and, and Rolodex of friends and tie them all into a nice little place and invite them out to a very nostalgia, family-friendly, clean, affordable environment. Well, believe me, if I when I'm back in Milwaukee, if I can make that drive when it's when it's open, I will Absolutely. be going. Yeah, that's seriously cool. Well, Butch, yeah. thank you so much, and thank you to your sister as well, and right. and um, appreciate it really. Send me, link to, send me a link, and I'll send it off to Indiana Beach, so that way they know that I'm working. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, thank Butch, you. we'll see you. Bye bye. Follow us on Spotify and iTunes, and leave us a review. Thank you so much.